paid and things that we're looking for, some idea of what we imagine this marriage will look like. Uh, we think, we, we dream about a nice house. Now, I didn't have a little toy house. This is a barn. But my dad always said I was born in a barn anyway. So anyway, we, we dream about the kind of house we're going to live in. We also dream about how we will spend our time. Some couples, well, we're going to spend all our time together. Some, well, we'll have your friend time and my friend time. You know, we'll have time with our different friends. You have dreams about how the time's going to be spent. And he has a dream about what she will do around the house because mom always did this. And so, of course, she will do these things as well. We have dreams about uh, how many kids we have and how we'll uh, take care of those kids and when we'll start having them after one year, maybe three years, maybe after five years. We have dreams about how much money we'll have. Maybe we'll start out a little bit smaller, but someday we'll be able to retire comfortably and go around in a big SUV or whatever. We have dreams about the kind of vehicle we will drive. Uh, When we have kids, we'll probably get a minivan, and he will keep it spotless even though we have four kids because that's what Dad used to do. So we have dreams about that. And he has a dream about what she will not wear to bed. She will not wear this. That's what he dreams about. This is not Ellen's, by the way. It's mine. Nah, just kidding. <laughs> no. uh, anyway, he, he, he dreams about what she will wear to bed, and she thinks, you know, that doesn't matter. I mean, he will love me for who I am. It doesn't matter what I wear to bed. That thing, that thing is just secondary. So we all have these dreams of what we anticipate it, it's going to be like. So before, before marriage, on your, on your outline, we have dreams. This is what I imagine. This is what I envision. This is what I desire. And it's all very natural. And all couples do it. And it's, a very, it's an okay thing to do. Now, the thing that all these dreams have in common is a big eye. This is what I dream about. This is what I hope for. This is what I anticipate and what, what I want, what I desire. I mean, what else can I do but to wish for what I dream about? I mean, I can't wish for somebody else's dreams. So it's very natural. It's not a bad thing. In fact, before we got married, we talked about these dreams, about who's going to do what and how many kids and, and when and how, how we're going to spend our time and where we're going to live. And we'd talk about these goals and we would just giggle and enjoy dreaming together. And then we get married. And at the altar or on the honeymoon or maybe in a few weeks or maybe a few years, we begin to do something subconsciously without even thinking about it or knowing why it happens. We eventually begin to take all these dreams which are often legitimate, and begin to place them into a different box. And we dreamed about the car, we dreamed about the kids and the house and you know, what she's going to do and what she's not going to wear and all this kind of stuff. And these dreams become expectations after marriage. Our dreams become expectations. After all, you're my spouse and I expect certain things. Before, when you were my fiancé, we dreamed and we hoped. But now that we're married, now that you're my husband or wife, I expect And the marriage instantly changes. And there's not only one big eye, we have two big eyes with two sets of expectations. I have my big eye, you have your big eye, and once those two big eyes collide, uh, we 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 have these expectations, we got problems. And several options take place at this point, and one option, frankly, is to leave. You didn't meet my expectations. You know, she wasn't a good wife, or he wasn't a good husband. He, He wasn't like daddy. She wasn't like my mom. I had these expectations of what a wife or husband would do, or, or she or he had too high of expectations and I couldn't measure up. The only problem is, so often when we leave, we pick up that box of dreams and carry them into the second marriage and dump them right into that second marriage, and that second marriage feels an awfully lot like the first. Another option is the stronger partner wins. 
One spouse wins, the other loses. The winning partner is the more dominant one and says, you will do what I expect you to do, and the losing partner gives in. The dominant man would explain and explain to his wife what she has to do to be a good wife until she finally understands what it means to be a good wife, and the dominant husband wins, and she conforms. And he thinks, hey, this is a pretty good marriage. She's learned how to submit finally. By the way, don't worry about the pronouns I'm using. Very often, she's the dominator, and he's the conformer. Either way, the submitter says, if that's what it takes, I'll give in. Maybe that's the way mommy did it, or daddy did it. And we just got to keep the peace. So you put up the white flag, I surrender, I will do whatever it takes. Now, conforming and cowering can be extraordinarily difficult and very stressful. So eventually in this kind of marriage, that, that model breaks down. You've been in this marriage, you may last for a while, and you've been trying to measure up, and the other things, things, are, things are going great, but it's really unraveling. Now, the problem is whether you're conforming or the one forcing the conforming, both of you are still in an I marriage. I is still at the heart of the relationship. I will give in. I will cower to protect me. Or I will dominate and I will get my way. Third option, compromise. Compromise says, okay, you do your part. I do my part. You do this and I'll do that. You have your friends and I have my friends. You have your time and my time, your space, my space. And, and realistically, all marriages have to do some of this. Compromise isn't always bad. But if it is a compromise marriage, if that's the foundation, it's still an I marriage. I will do what you want if you do what I want. And it's still I centered. Many times people get into a compromise marriage because they're committed to the institution. Of marriage. They would never consider leaving, so they compromise. They go to a counselor and say, I'm concerned about my marriage. Or, or say, honey, I'm concerned about our marriage. And the focus is on the marriage and not the person. And that's really not biblical, and it's not healthy. The Bible never says, be committed to the marriage. Now, Ellen is committed to the marriage, to our marriage. And I'm glad she's committed to the institution of marriage. But I want marriage to be more than that. And so does she. I want her to be committed to me. And she wants me committed to her, not just to the institution. Guess what? She can go out and get another marriage. The marriage is not the goal. Now, what happens in this compromised marriage where it says, I do this and you do that, it becomes a contract. A compromised marriage is not a covenant. It's a contract. It's a let's make a deal. And in the contract marriage, the first thing that goes is romance, intimacy, appreciation. There's no joy in compromising. You see couples when they're dating, they can't stay away from each other. They can't keep their hands off of each other. It's not a contract. It's not about making a deal when, when you're dating. It's about, I'll be here for you, and you'll be here for me. Now, sometimes compromise is what needs to happen, granted, and in some things you will. But when you settle, my space, your space, my time, your time, my money, your money, you know, we got it all worked out. We're not fighting anymore. We're not, we're not yelling anymore. It's still just a big I marriage. And you two become strangers living under the same roof. It's just another way of managing our expectations. So when you move the dreams into expectations, you move the relationship, which is to be a covenant relationship, into a contract relationship with your spouse. Another way of expressing an expectation is, you owe me. You're the wife, and you owe me because you're the wife. You're the husband. You owe me. Do you remember at the altar you promised? 
You promised to do these things, and I'm going to hold you to it. And she says, yeah, but, but you owe me because you were there too, and you made promises, and God heard you say them, and I'm going to hold you to the promises you made. And all of us could have a, make a strong case for why our spouse owes us. They promised. We could even quote Bible verses. The only thing is, you end up with a relationship like you have with your banker or your mortgage company or your credit card. How romantic are you with your mortgage company? You know, unless you're married to someone there. You'll never receive a personal, perfumed letter with a gift card and a love note from the mortgage company. Dear Mark, we love you. We are so appreciative of your payment for the month. Please find and close the gift card for appreciation and love that was so kind of you. I don't get that kind of note from the bank. Do you? Why? Because it's part of the deal. That was expected. And there's no romance there. In fact, the only time you get a personalized letter from the mortgage company or special attention is when? When you miss a payment, yeah. And if you miss enough payments, not only will you get a letter, you might even get a personal phone call. And it'll be very personal and it'll be very negative. So if all you do is what's expected in the marriage, there might be peace, there might be no problems, you know, hey, things are going pretty well, but you don't get a lot of love because you just did what was expected. And if you mess up, you'll get personalized attention and it'll be negative. If my dreams stay in the dream box... And she does it? Wow, I appreciate it. If it's expected, it's just part of the deal. And I take her for granted. No one feels loved. Everyone's trying to live up to the expectations. She can't really love me by doing these things because it was part of the deal. As long as you conduct your marriage in a you owe me, as long as there's this debt-debtor marriage, you're you're, going to have a battle. And as long as you're in this expectation box, the romance, the appreciation, the connection, it's going to be gone. And the opportunity to express unconditional love is gone down the drain because it's all in that box. So what do we do? Well, let's look what the Bible says. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says, the answer to an I marriage is to invite a third party into the marriage. The word submit, you know, means that I'm going to make your dreams and your wishes take priority over my dreams. And it says, submit to one another. Why? Not out of reverence for one another. It doesn't say, Mark, submit to Ellen out of reverence for Ellen. Now, if you're not a Christian, that's really all you have. I will submit to you out of reverence for you which makes your spouse God, of which most spouses are not very qualified or very good at being God. So Paul says, no, I don't want you to submit out of reverence for your spouse. I want you to submit, place yourself under, out of reverence for Christ. If you're a Christian, you're grateful to Jesus. Amen? Okay, okay. God, I'm grateful to you. Jesus, I'm grateful. You've given me what I don't deserve. You've, you've forgiven me. You've given me an ending life. What can I do for you? And God says, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. What can I do for you, God? And God says, I want you to take all that gratitude and all that appreciation and all that passion and that submission and shower it onto your spouse. Can I do something else? How, how about tithing? I'll tithe. Can I give 10%? Can I go on a mission trip? Do you, have, do you have to bring my marriage into this? And God says, I don't want you to put her first because she deserves it. I want you to put her first because I put you first. I want you to take this debt-free relationship that you and I have. Remember, I canceled your sins. I've forgiven you. You don't owe me anything. I want you to take that debt-free relationship and apply it to your marriage. 
Just as you don't owe me anything, I want you to declare to your spouse that he or she doesn't owe you a thing. Be Jesus to her or him. Then he speaks to each one, specifically wives, verse 22, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Wives, there's the S word, submit to your husbands because, submit your husband because he's so great. No. Submit to your husband because he earned it. No. Submit to him because he's a hunk or rich. Submit to him because he's not bald. Whatever. I don't know. That was a joke. Submit to him because he'll never take advantage of you. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Jesus says, do you know how submitted you are to me? Yeah. Take all that energy of submission and channel that onto your husband. I want you to do this out of reverence for me, out of submission to me. Love him the way I love you. Oh. Then to the husbands, verse 24. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife because she's perfect. Nope. Love your wife if she's submissive. Nope. Love your wife if she wears the right clothes to bed. Nope. Or if she keeps herself fit. Nope. You love her just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's not about how lovable she is or how submissive she is. I want you to be willing to lay down your life for her because I laid down my life for you. Your spouse is your priority. Why? Because she deserved it? Nope. Because Christ made you his priority. Did you deserve it? Nope. Well, isn't this asking a lot? I mean, yeah, as long as two big eyes are in the middle of the marriage. That's why marriage takes three. That's why you put Christ at the center. And submit to one another out of reverence for him. Now, some of you think, well, you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. I mean, my wife, she can't handle five bucks. And I'm afraid that if I love him that way, I'm afraid that he'll take advantage of that. I mean, she'll revert back to, he'll start doing, you fill in the blank. He'll do, so what do we do? We get a leash, and we put a leash on his big eye, or her big eye, so we can control them. Now, when you put a leash on someone and try to control someone else's behavior, you know what that's called? That's called the parenting model. I've got to become mom to this guy. Or I've got to become dad to this woman. And when she or he does something good, it's because I trained them. Well, you were good last month, so I'll give you a little more leash. You know, if you come home at 6, that's okay. But if you come home at 6.30, we're going to have to talk. And the thing that leads to all these different options, these, these four different options, and the reason that it's hard to do the Christ model is because the most basic issue in marriage is fear. If I submit, I'm afraid he'll, you fill in the blank. If I love her like Christ loved the church, she'll, and you fill in the blank. And you cannot give in unconditional love because we're afraid of what he or she might do. And if you have to drop the leash, that is scary. Jesus loved the church and the church has been unfaithful at times. You know that? Cheated on him. And he sacrificed for sometimes he loves, she loves him and sometimes she disappoints and there's just no guarantees. And if you're afraid to do this, I fully understand. It's scary to love someone unconditionally. Uh, to love them and let go of the rope because there's no guarantees it'll work out but this is your only hope for God to invade the relationship. 
but I don't want to be alone, and I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to take that chance. I don't think I can trust him. I, 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 still in control. First Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves, just another way of saying submit. Submit yourselves, and God will lift you up. When? In due time. Now, that's the part we hate. Due time for us is usually not due time for God. I tried doing this submitting stuff on Monday, and nothing's happened. Here's Thursday. You know, no changes at all. In due time can be a long time. But at the end of that time, some amazing things can happen because you decided to trust God and humble yourself before Him. You said, I'd rather wait on God doing the right thing and trusting His way rather than depending on I and trying to manipulate, manipulate things my way and trying to do it my way. In due time, He will lift you up. In the meantime, going on First Peter, cast all your anxiety, your fear on Him because He cares for you. Turn it over to Him. Trust Him. Now, he had this box full of dreams. Don't ignore them. But God says, I want you to cast all those dreams and all those expectations. I want you to put them on me. God, I want to, I really want a wife that won't wear one of these. I really want, I really want some money. I really want this for our kids. And I really want, I really, that's my dream that she would be like mom. And we would spend our time and we'd have this kind of vehicle and we would live in this kind of house. Those are the, all the things we, dream, we dreamed about. And the Lord says, give them to me. I'll take them. Let me give you three ways to renew with your spouse. First, and none of these are easy, confess. I would like to confess that there's some areas where I have loaded you with expectations and I'm sorry about it. And I can't promise you I won't do it again because I'm not perfect and I've been in this old habit, but I do want to change. Honest, true confession. It's hard, but it's Christ-like. I've been living out of the expectation box and I want to stop that. That's the first step to breaking down the walls. Confess. I'll tell you what. It was a turning point in my first marriage. When we lowered our expectations, it was like magic. It got better. Second, ask. Where do you feel pressure to live up to my expectations? I, maybe I'm putting a burden on you that I'm not even aware of, and I, I want to know where have I placed some unrealistic expectations on you. And, and then you ask, what can I do to make this marriage richer? And when you ask that, what can I do to make this marriage richer, you're actually, really, it's a secret way of asking, what's in your box? What's your dream? Don't ask about everything in the box because not all of it may become a reality. That may house, big house may not happen. Uh, you may not get that car, but you just have casted that on the Lord. That, the Lord's going to take care of that. So you just ask your spouse, what can I do to make this better? And third is re- reward. Like you did when you were dating. What you reward is repeated. And sometimes we accidentally do things that satisfy our spouse. We don't even know we did. Uh, there's one husband telling me, true story, that his wife was gone for a Saturday morning and he was home alone and just decided to do something nice for her. He cleaned the bathroom, cleaned the toilet. And when she got home, he was shocked, disbelief at her response. She had never been so excited and so happy. They'd been married for 20 years. He didn't know how much she hated cleaning the bathroom, especially the toilet. And that was so special to her, and she was so excited. And he was rewarded, if you know what I mean. And, and he's been cleaning toilets ever since. <laughs> True story. 
Or the husband sits down and talks to you for 10 minutes and gives you some adult conversation, and you just love talking to him, and he leaves and you say, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I just love that when he does. But he didn't know. He doesn't know how much you want him to talk to him. You got to tell, ladies, some guys are a little dense. You need to be clear with them. Over-reward them. Tell them, you know, we're not that smart. We may not know what that meant to you. So instead of an I marriage, we become an us marriage. Not two big eyes, but us. And it can only happen when we invite that third party. Don't do it out of reverence for your spouse. That's putting too much weight on them. You do it out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Him. Take all that appreciation you have for Him and all that desire to serve Him and that debt-free, totally forgiven relationship and you dump that into your spouse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Think about that. And wives, you submit as to the Lord. Father, I thank you that when we make you the center of our lives, life is better. It's the way it should be. And our marriages will become what they were intended. But it is scary. And it takes faith and courage to live a Christ-centered relationship. Because we have to give up our rights and our demands and our expectations. I, I thank you for the amazingly good marriages we have present today. I thank you for marriages that have gone through hard times and are strong today. I thank you for marriages that have been together for decades. And as a body, we pray for those that are going through a season of struggle that your grace and goodness will prevail in all of our homes. It is in Jesus we pray. Amen.